0: Hi, this is Brian Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And today, we are doing the show remotely. We're doing it at my buddy Ian O'Malley's place, and we are in the, what do we call this, the man cave? Well, no, I guess this would be, I, I like to call it the reading room, or, you know, I, I would call it the
1: library, but that just sounds so. <laughs> I don't know. You want to be in the study. library? Oh, and the study. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, the study. It's a where I have quite a bit of my memorabilia, and it's a place I like to go and read and kind of, you know, take a breather from my two wonderful little ones. And uh, yeah. it's a good spot for it. And you're, you're coming down here, obviously, at a very nice time of year. It's very pretty around this oh, part of Connecticut. Beautiful. Hey, congratulations, first of all. So, you know, because I know that I was one of the first, uh, I think it was one of the first five, if I'm not wrong, to do um, the No Sleep podcast. where it's really remarkable how it's taken off, and all the interesting folks you've had chat about things from different walks of life, you know, from major rock stars to just, you know, local dignitaries up in Canada, and I
0: uh, just want to say, well done, man. It's, it's really been enjoyable. Thank you, sir. Mm. No, it's been great. It's, I think we're on show number 35 now. That's incredible. So, yeah, it's going really well. Um, I've had some great guests. Uh, and you deserve a lot of credit for that as well Phil Collin. we got J.J. Uh, French on the show he mm-hmm. did two two actually he's done two now probably do a third one so yeah it's been fantastic oh, good for you yeah. congratulations, congratulations. Very happy about that so now uh, you were going to do your second one and you have got a short list of songs here yeah so your first song is on The Turning Away uh, from an album called A Momentary Lapse of Reason
1: and uh, it's a very floydy sounding song and I know that sounds a little strange because um, first of all it's a song I've always really really liked right. um, it, it's just got that very cool kind of classic Floyd sound even though it wasn't Roger Waters um, era Floyd mm-hmm. uh, it, there's an interesting story actually behind the song because it was, it was the last song that went on that album and Gilmore uh, finished the album and presented it to, uh, I think the guy's name is Donny Einer, um, you know the, the head of Sony who they were recording on at the right. time, and um, he, so he gave him the finished product and um, the, the the head of Sony, which I'm pretty sure was this fellow Don, uh, went back to him, which I'm actually surprised because you don't think that you'd probably get a very good response, but he went back to Gilmore and he goes, I need one more song that sounds really like Pink Floyd, that sounds slightly more like classic Floyd. No way. Yeah, and and Gilmore said, okay, let was just write me one more uh, that really sounds really like Floyd. Yeah. And that's what Gilmore came up with, was On, oh, the, turn- wow. on the Turning Away. So it really wasn't even supposed to be on the album. Uh, wow. I, I, it's I, it just, you know, it's a very kind of... Um, dreamy sounding Floyd song that has that very kind of mellow start and you know the very majestic kind, kind of ending and uh, it's just a song of theirs I always really liked I've always been a very big fan of, of, of Gilmore himself and, and Roger Waters too you know it's an interesting story when I met Roger Waters um, I think he's gotten a little bit more social as, as years have gone on yeah. um, but when I met him which was a, a number of years ago I think it was probably I don't know 10-12 years ago uh, and he was playing uh, in, in New Jersey at an arena there. And I had a client of mine that was doing voiceover stuff for Saab at the time. And I said, look, is there anything I can I can do for you for this guy, Simon, who was running this account? Yeah. And I said, you know, pretty much anything you want. You know, it's music related. I could probably arrange. And he goes, I'd like to meet Roger Waters. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anybody but Roger Waters. Because, you know, he was uh, just not a guy that was known for doing any sort of, um, any sort of meeting or greeting for the public, you know? Yeah that whole torture genius sort of thing. So anyway, I called up a a very well-known concert promoter here in the New York City area called Ron Delsner, who kind of acted as a somewhat manager and a very long-time friend of his. Mm -hmm. And I called up uh, Ron, who I call Uncle Ron, and I said, uh, Uncle Ron, you know, I I really need to to meet Roger Waters with this client of mine and I'll never forget uh, Ron says to me he goes you want to meet the JD Salinger of rock <laughs> I'll never forget that and I said yes and he goes all right let me look into it he goes, it's probably not going to happen but let me look into it and as it turns out um he arranged it so I Simon and I um, go to the concert yep. and um you know I got us some seats in a luxury box and all that was really great the next thing I know Roger's head of security shows up in the box looking for me and he was this big tall blonde dude and uh he says to me, and I go, okay. you goes, you know, we're going to go down and meet Roger. He says, you probably know this is kind of a special thing. He doesn't meet a lot of people. And I said, okay. Mm-hmm. And he goes, there's two rules before you go. And I said, all right. He goes, uh, number one is um, you can't mention anything about Pink Floyd. Yeah. And, you know, don't. The words Pink and Floyd should not be coming out of your mouth in any circumstance. You know, that's it's going to get things off to not a good start. And I said, okay. And the second one, he says, you can't touch him. Mm. <laughs> that was a little weird. So I joked with the guy, I said, William, you know, what do you think I'm going to do? Like, you know, try hump this guy's leg and ask yeah. for a Pink Floyd reunion? I mean, come on. Yeah. And uh, he's kind of chuckled and he goes, No, I'm serious. Just follow those rules, which is, which is okay. You know, I guess some people, say, I've seen it before with a number of backstages where it's people just get a little too grabby or huggy, you know, with their favorite person. So. Right. Uh, but he was—he turned out to be a very nice, kind of soft-spoken guy, and he was pleasant. We I mean, only hung out for, I don't know, about 10 or 15 minutes since Simon got his picture with him. But, hmm. you know, that was one of the few people that I met, and I met pretty much everybody, um, where I was looking at him and saying, you know, and thinking genius. And I know that that word is kind of thrown around pretty mm-hmm. frequently. But uh, just the same, you know, this is the guy that that wrote, you know, the majority of Dark Side of the Moon, yeah. and, and or the Wall, yeah, you know, or even Metal, or Wish You Were Here. I mean, I mean, God knows how much other stuff, you know. Yeah, and that was one of the few times really to say, you know, this guy is. I mean, he's he's special, you know. I'm not talking about him as a as a, as a human being, you know, uh, but just really as a, as really a creative genius. And I, I thought that was I thought that was really cool.
0: You know? Yeah. Um, your second song, I cannot see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm going to
1: down here, hang on. No, it's on your phone, and it went off. Hang on a second. Uh, I think it disappeared. Was it the Was it the Stones or was the Stones?
0: St- oh, it was Keith Richards, wasn't
1: it? What was it? I think yeah, Stone slash Keith Richards. Although it's it's not a Keith Richards tune because obviously the first song that would come to mind is like Happy or something like that, mm-hmm. or you know, Little TNA. Um, but this stuff you know, the, it's the, the song, my favorite Stone song. I've got, I've got a few of them. Uh, Moonlight Mile is probably one of them, but Slave is one of my all time favorites off of Tattoo You. I just thought, I've just always thought Slave was a brilliant piece of music, and I think the, the saxophone in it is, um, I'm guessing, it would be Bobby Kimball, I think, playing the sax. Uh, is, is terrific you know oddly enough Keith Richards just lives down the road from here um, he's probably a mile and a half away is that right oh yeah really it's, yeah he's a stone's throw from me he's very close by a stone's throw he's lived up here uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good you're quick quicker than I am today but I'm afraid I had a late night last night um, that's true but he's lived up here for um, for quite some time yeah. Keith uh, you know with, with his wife Patty uh, yeah. a number of years that he, that, he has, uh, that he has lived up here but yeah slave is um, I just think it's a brilliant piece of music and I think it just it encompasses so many great things about the stones um, you know that this it's a slower song but it's got a really cool kind of swing to it even mm-hmm. though it's a very it's a slower beat but it's just got a very cool vibe where you just kind of find yourself you know uh, nodding your head and, and and jack has always been infatuated I think with those kind of uh, I, w- I want to say like the, the the black background vocals you know yes. I and mean, if you listen you know do it do it do it you know so you know he's always been really really into that that kind of bluesy um, you know almost Motown sound in some ways and I think it, I think the guitar is really great on it you know Keith's guitar has a real great groove to it yeah. um, so to me it's, it's just an all around great stone song you know with Jagger doing some singing doing kind of his, almost his rapping that he would do you know, yeah. you know where he speaks a lot of the words um, you know Charlie Watts has never been known as you know Mr. Excitement behind the drums <laughs> but he is granted he's 80 years old um, you know it's just, it's just a really it's a really great beat and as mentioned I think the, the saxophone is fantastic and I think if any of the listeners of um, No Sleep go back and revisit that song I think they'll, they'll oh, understand yeah. why you know what I'm talking about and, uh, and my attraction to it you know Keith is a he's a very interesting guy I met him on on two or three occasions um, and one of the times that I met him was um, at the Hard Rock Cafe we did this thing called Rocktober oddly enough here it right. is Rocktober That were chatting in New York City yeah in New York City yeah and what they did is our afternoon guy was this legendary DJ who's now uh, departed this lovely guy named Scott Muni mm-hmm. would do a broadcast from his afternoon show there for a week and he always had a uh, a lot of big-time celebrity guests would come by, bands would play. I saw Van Halen play there when Sammy awesome. was in, you know, in this little tiny stage. I mean, it's like an eight-foot-tiny stage, yeah. and the place would be packed, and he would do this live broadcast. And it was a really cool thing, and he did it for a week. So Keith came by, and Scott Muni was famous for his uh, for being a very legendary DJ in New York. He was an older guy, and he was quite old then. Um, but for his voice, his voice kind of sounded like this. Yeah. And, of course, Keith's voice
0: kind of <laughs> sounds like that.
1: So um, Muni referred to uh, folks a lot, like Nick He called everybody Fats for some reason. Um, okay. And he said to me, he goes, you know, Fats, Keith Richards is coming by the show this week. You got to sit in on this one. <laughs> and I said, uh, OK, Scott. So we went. Um, and obviously, Scott was doing a show. Richards shows up and Scott's on one side. Keith is um, in the middle and I'm right to the right of Keith and uh the, the thing that i remember the most you know we always make the jokes about keith and the amount that he's drank and drugged and you know the only thing that's, that'll be left when the world comes to an end is the cockroaches and keith richards. Oh, that's right um uh, but you know I, I saw that firsthand and uh what happened was that this, a waitress comes up and we were on like this little elevated stage yeah. and a waitress comes up and she goes you know mr richards can i get you a drink yeah. and keith looks at her and goes yeah darling give me a scotch and she goes, no problem, I'm, you know, coming right up. And she comes back a couple minutes later, and she's got a little, you know, little scotch glass. There's probably four ounces of scotch in it. She, yeah. she sets it down in front of him, and he looks at her. And he looks at me, and he looks down in front of me, and there's an empty pint glass in front of me. Yeah. And um, so he takes the empty pint glass, and he hands it to her. He goes, no, darling, give me a scotch.
0: <laughs> so she,
1: she gets the hint. And off she goes, and she comes back, and she's got an absolutely full pint glass of scotch and sets it down in front of him and, and Keith wasn't talking anything stones at that point he's got the sideband I'm sure you heard of all the expensive winos yeah, yeah. so I think they had a new record out at the time this must have been sometime in the early 90s and um, so Scott starts off the interview hey great to have you here Keith and you know then Richard just you know it sounds like somebody put glass in a blender with his voice yeah. and the thing that I remember the most about it um, is while Scott was asking him a question Keith is taking a haul off of this pint of scotch right and uh, I, I will just never forget it being absolutely mesmerized because as he's taking the drink the the, the liquor keeps tilting and yeah. flowing and I can see his Adam's apple go up and this would be like you and I taking a swig of water while yeah. we're thirsty and he was only there for about, it was a pretty quick visit, uh, about 25 minutes or 20 minutes or so. And by the time he left, the, the entire, drank day, the glass. he drank the glass dry Jeez. and was just still the same old charming self. You know, I think we're, if you or I drank it or anybody in the listening audience, we'd probably be hospitalized drinking a yeah. pint of scotch like that. But no, he did it and just, you know, shook hands, It was very pleasant with the crowd and, and, and off he went. So, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a pretty remarkable human being, that guy. Wow. So, we're, you know, we're glad he's still around oh yeah and he doesn't show any signs of slowing down right? no no I mean he looks pretty rugged in, in, in person I, I saw him not too terribly long ago um, and he <laughs> you know he's he's showing the signs but you know I mean God, uh, he's got to be I mean certainly in his early 70s if not mid he's got to he's, he's, you know, I think he's 73. If 73,
0: 73
1: 73 that sounds about that sounds about right you know and he's actually 173 in the years that he's lived yeah but, no kidding but you know he's just one of those guys you know you get some folks that uh, eat right every day and they drop dead of a heart attack when they're out for a run and then you got a guy that smokes three packs of cigarettes a day and has drank like a fish his whole life and been a former heroin addict and everything else and yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the guy lives well into his 80s who knows but you know, yeah. as long as he's producing music and touring and stuff, I think everybody'd be
0: pretty happy about it. Oh, for sure. You know, that's a great pick. Moonlight Mile you said earlier too, because if you think about all the stone songs that are available as, you know, potential songs that make your skin vibrate. There's so many. But Moonlight Mile is I think it's the last tune on Sticky Fingers. Uh-huh. Right? And it is just it's a great ending to that record, but it's just a nice ethereal. Uh, it's just mesmerizing almost right yeah I
1: mean, it's a very good description for that song is ethereal and I, and, I, and I absolutely agree with you I think you nailed it it's just one of those songs right I tend to daydream when I listen to it or something it's just yeah. you know I, I, get, I get very caught up in it you know when I play it on the radio it's one of those songs that, that I really listen to yeah. you know when I when I hear it obviously we've heard Satisfaction for a zillion times so, yeah exactly you know, I'm not going to stop what I'm doing to hear that it's a classic song but
0: yeah, yeah Moonlight like,
1: Mile is just one of those songs it just it just takes you a, to a different place or something I know that sounds a little strange but I mean that's what it does to me
0: yeah yeah and the lyrics I mean like Mick Jagger is just a time of cocaine right mm-hmm. but the lyrics really kind of make you consider the headspace that he's in at the time because he talks about, you know, burning a rag pile of his clothes and he's looking at the window and the snow and it's just a, like, he kind of paints that picture for you Mm. of the space that he's in and it's not a, it's not a pleasant one.
1: It isn't, and you can, and you can hear it. It sounds like, uh, the best way you can describe it, if you know, and, and again, if you go back and revisit the song either in your head or listening to it after this podcast, his, um, his, his vocals on that Sound—I don't want to say like a howling dog, but he, there, there's a real kind of sadness it's to it. There's like a real there's loneliness to it, you know. Instead of his usual kind of up-tempo, kind of sass sort of stuff, mm-hmm. but it's—it's it's, its a very different tone. Yeah, uh, for him, he, you know, in some ways, he doesn't really sound like Jagger in that opening. You know, you can tell it's Jagger, but exactly. it's not his usual style. Where right away you can say, "Oh, okay, they're tumble and dice." It's Jagger. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it sounds very different uh, for him. So I, th- I think that song is, uh, as you mentioned, it's, it's it's coming from a very personal level. Yeah. You know, which can make you sing differently or express yourself very differently instead of just writing a, a hit song and saying okay this is the way I'm going to sing it I think that song was a little bit deeper for him I think
0: yeah agree absolutely and um, uh, Slave from Tattoo You Tattoo You for me is a really unorthodox record you know with the, with the exception of maybe "Started Up." Yeah. I don't remember what it came after was it Emotional Rescue or did it come right before but it was in that period where you know there was some girls yeah. Emotional Rescue and it was a little bit poppy you know, but um, tattoo you. You know, songs like Heaven and Slave, uh-uh. waiting on friend. Yeah, we're just kind of uh, spacey and very experimental. I found, mm-hmm. you know, and not really like you know, I don't know, not not like the albums that preceded. it. Certainly not like you know the classics of Sticky Fingers and Excel and stuff like that. But uh, you know, Heaven from that record, I really loved.
1: Yeah, it's a great. That's a great song, but I mean that's. That's really a great Stones album. I think some of the purists might, you know, say, nah, you know, I'm just getting yeah. my sticky fingers or Exile, and that's so much of the stuff, or goat's head soup or Beggar's Banquet, or whatever it may be. Yeah. You know, the, the, the purists might not like it as much, because it's also a very... Um, I like the production on that album. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and it, I think it was one of the first Stones albums um, that sounded very clean yeah. uh, to me. It just yeah. it didn't have... You know, like, Little TNA is kind of a raw-sounding song, but... Um, it, it had a very very clean sound to it. I, I think "Slave" is a very good example. I mean, yeah. you know, "Slave" sounds like the producer for Steely Dan did it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's very crisp. super crisp and you know, great sax and everything kind of flows to it. Yeah. So I thought that was a very interesting um, aspect of that album was that it, it didn't sound not necessarily the songwriting because it was very classic Stones a lot of the songwriting on it, but the sound, no doubt about it, was 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 different comparatively. Yeah,
0: you know? yeah. What do you got next? Uh, I think we were talking, uh, was it Sting? That was your fourth song, I think. Invisible Sun, please. Invisible Sun, yeah. I
1: always like that song, um, I don't know if you know it, it's written about Northern oh, Ireland. I and didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, it's weird when, you, when when you hear it, you know, that it's, if, when you, and if you check lyrically and so on, it's, yeah, it's, it's all about what they call the troubles in Northern yeah. Ireland, you know? And, and I'm trying to think of the year, year to Ghost in the Machine come out. 81 um, or something, or 81 or 82. I 82, guess. maybe yeah. I, should, I can't remember. Um, but the, the things were going full swing back then, so it's obviously a very different atmosphere. Now we're talking an older song, but there was a lot of problems in Northern Ireland at that point, and um, uh, I think it affected Stan greatly. Um, so that's that's what that song is about, and it's I, there's not a lot of really heavy duty stuff that I think that the police tackled. Um, and I think it took a lot of people by surprise I mean, when they found out what the song was about. You know, I mean, the police were a really great kind of ska pop band. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Roxanne is obviously about a prostitute in Amsterdam that he saw when he, in his youth. But um, that was pretty heady material, you know, for that song. When you listen to it, you know, again, you know, we're, we're getting back to that moody kind of sound to it, you know, Invisible Sun. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was a great song. you know. Um, my experience, I've got quite a bit of experience with Sting just because, A, because of the whole rock radio thing over the years in New York, mm-hmm. but also because I had a roommate for a stretch of a fellow that's still a very, very close friend of mine, but we were roommates for, geez, about four or five years in mm-hmm. New York City, and he um, was at A&M Records, which was Sting's label yeah. for uh, a long time. And uh, so we used to see him frequently. He would play. I mean, the one thing about Sting is he tours a lot, and he would come to New York frequently and he would do a number of shows I mean he would play a place called Jones Beach which is an outdoor venue you know he might do um, three or four nights at uh, the theater in Madison Square Garden which is a 5,000 theater or he would do the you know the arena itself but he would play a lot uh, in New York and he would come back every year so I would accompany Charlie my buddy because he always had to deal with Sting you know he was and Sting was the highest selling artist on their label, so it was very important to to keep Sting happy. And he's a very, very smart guy. I think unfortunately on occasion he knows he's smart. Okay. Um, you know, so he's he's very well spoken and very well read and uh you know, knows his wine and literature and so on and so forth. But you know, a, a pleasant guy to deal with. But I, I remember one night in particular, we must have seen Sting on that tour, Charlie and I, eleven or twelve times. Mm-hmm. And so um, he was playing the garden, and this is at the end of this run and we're in about the second song. And I love Sting. I always loved The Police. And I like his solo music very, very much. Exactly. You know, no, Nothing Like The Sun is one of my all-time favorite albums. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, <laughs> we, we go to the garden. And uh, we're about two songs in. Okay. And Charlie says to me, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm kind of burned out, man. What show is this? like our 11th or 12th. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, well, why don't we just go to the bar You know, inside the garden here and just beat up on my expense account. And I said, oh, that sounds good to me. So we went. And we proceeded to get really hammered. Yeah. Uh, and we still had to go backstage because there was a couple of radio contest winners, you know, meet Sting sort of thing. So by the time we wandered backstage, the two of us were just completely shittered, uh, <laughs> which we probably shouldn't have done because Charlie had still had some business-like work to do, and I kind of had to as well. Yeah. And at this point in time, we were, you know, dare I say, in a first-name basis with Sting just because we saw him so much, you know? Yeah. So he walks off stage, um, and he'd like to—he'd like to get things done as quickly as possible. Lots of times, at backstage situations, they'll keep everybody waiting for quite some time because the artist wants to relax and have a drink, or maybe take a shower. So sometimes, you know, you're waiting there for half an hour, forty-five minutes. You now, Sting like to get his stuff done right away. As soon mm-hmm. as he got off stage, you're like, all right, who are the people I got to meet? Take a quick picture, and I'm on my—I'm on my way. Yeah. So Sting comes off off stage, and uh, he's one of those guys that when he sweats. It was very acrid. you ever been around one of those folks when they yeah. sweat and it's just like a gym bag? It's, yeah. you know, it's just, you know, it's Jesus. So Sting goes off stage and goes, yeah, hello, Charlie, you know, hello, Ian. And then Charlie goes, takes a couple of minutes and he thought he was being funny. Charlie yeah. did. And then Charlie goes, Sting. He goes, Jesus, man, you got to hit the showers. And we're, we're going to nickname you Stink. <laughs> and I can Sting did not have a sense of humor when it came to anybody busting his balls. He just wasn't I think most people would probably got a good laugh out of it. Yeah. So of course I'm just stewed enough where I think I've got a one up Charlie and I and I said, Sting, no, oh, he's way past that. We gotta call him Stench. That's your new name, Stench. Oh God. And Sting just glared at us and goes, All right voice, you know, this where's the person I gotta take the picture with? And then I guess the next day Charlie got a call from the head of A&M Records. Oh, really? And said, it's usually a good idea not to piss off our number one selling artist, but Sting was not amused by you and O'Malley last night, hammered calling him Stink and Stench. So, yeah. He wasn't so happy about that. But, you know, he produces great music and I, I you know, I like his solo stuff and, and then the police stuff is yeah. is, is, uh, is great too. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So now our next person was, I think we'll... Uh, We'll wrap up and make it up. It was Tom Petty. Tom and Hayes. he's 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 obviously been top of mind
0: lately. Yeah.
1: Um I liked Tom Petty. I like to interview him. I i have always been a, a gigantic fan of his music. Uh an album of his, um, Wildflowers in particular. But his um his his Full Moon Fever album I really, really like too. Mm-hmm. Um you know there's a, a song on that that i actually sing to my kids sometimes when they're going to sleep it's called it's all right for now which yeah. I think is a very is a, it's just a beautiful song um but yeah petty um you know when, when i think of wildflowers i mean that's a song that i can just listen to over and over and over again you know likes like so much of his music and he we, we've had, obviously had a lot of deaths um you know you can't cheat father time um and it's been a very, very difficult couple of years for classic rock radio artists, you know, oh, yeah. and you, look, the people are going to pass away. We're all getting older. And, you know, keep in mind, a lot of these people, not so much petty, but we're making music in the 60s, the Stones, mm-hmm. for instance, and then and the 70s yeah. and in the 80s and, and and currently which you know petty was still doing mm-hmm. um but but that one really threw me for a loop i mean obviously when you lose a legend like you know david bowie is like holy shit bowie you know um yeah. and or you know glenn fry um but but penny really kind of floored me i mean just because i was such a fan of his music and and i had met him on a number of occasions and i and i had interviewed him um i think my, my favorite petty story and i got a few of them um I, I was I was working at vh1 at the time and yep. uh, I was a Vj I guess you're a bunch of music you know sort of thing
0: yeah
1: and um we were we were doing this thing called tickets first and what we what we did is we we sold tickets before they went on sale to the general public but via vh1 so you you'd interview these people that when we were doing this and I was the host and I would generally do these ticket first things with with various artists that we had um and petty was one of them so we go to commercial break, and, and Petty out of the blue says to me, because um, he in, in, in that kind of nasally voice that he has, he goes, Hey, man, have you seen any good concerts lately? <laughs> and uh, he was really <laughs> stoned, that much I remember. I remember my mother calling me uh, after the broadcast. Saying, oh, you did such a nice job, uh, love. And she goes, you know, was, was was he on the reefer? Is what she said to me. I said, yeah, he was on the reefer, Ma. He was pretty stoned. Um, but he, so he asked me this question, and I thought it was, it was a little bit of an odd question. And I, mean, oh, I said, well... So to be honest with you, I haven't seen any um, really great shows lately, like super lately, uh, but I've seen a really bad one. And he goes, who's that? And I said, R.E.M. Yeah. And I like R.E.M. a lot, you know. And he goes, why was it not so good? And I said, well is because they played their entire new shitty album Mm. that didn't sell very well, that most people didn't really like. Uh, And I said they played most of their previous new shitty album (laughs) that most people didn't like. And then I think they played South Central Rain or something. Uh, And and I said, you know, with a band that has that kind of catalog of music, um, I really felt the fans were cheated, you mm -hmm. know? And I said I would have been especially pissed off if I actually had to pay for my tickets. But I still felt kind of cheated. I was taking the time to go to the show, and I think they could have played any number of you know really great REM songs. And I'm not mm-hmm. even necessarily just talking about the hits. Yeah. But they were they were just forcing um, the new album down your throat, which you know u too has been accused of as of late too doing mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. So Penny was listening to me, and then I stopped, you know, to kind of get his response. You know, I was hoping he wouldn't say, "Hey, you know, Michael Stipe's my best friend, so screw you." Oops. I didn't. I, I didn't think he was going to say that, but you know, and he says to me, "He goes, well." Um, I, don't, I don't, don't think I'm going to be able to recite word for word exactly what he said but what he, what he said to me was um, he goes, you know, me and the Heartbreakers he goes, you know, we're, we're lucky enough to, to be kind of considered classics and, and having a, a, a lot of songs that mean a lot to a lot of people mm-hmm. and, and he said, you know, he goes to me songs are memories um, and he says, you know, they always bring you to a particular place um, he goes, you know, maybe it's your first kiss or your first love or you know a memory of high school with your buddies in a car or you know your first time you got laid. I mean, whatever. Yeah. But he goes, you know, they're, they're really memories for people. And he goes, you know, you know, he said, I have a lot of songs I know that are that are memories for people.
0: Yeah.
1: And he goes, that's why I always play them. Um, he goes, you know, I will almost always play, you know, Refugee and you know. Breakdown and just any, any number of zillion petty songs that are very very well known. Yeah, and then he said to me something that was really funny. He says, "You know, I I realize that uh, what songs put twenty thousand asses in those seats that night." And he goes, "It wasn't song number eight on my new album." Yeah, and I thought that was very interesting. You know, and he, and, and he said something. He goes, "You know, I like playing new music. You know, if I'm proud of it, because goes I, I like throwing something in there that's new. You know, because it's it's fresh and and fun, but." He goes, you know, I never forget, um, you know, who I'm playing for. Essentially what he said to me, it was something along the lines of, you know, I don't play for myself or I play for my fans. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a very, very good analogy, um, you know, the way he was describing the music. And somebody that had the catalog that he had, as I mentioned, because, you know, U2 was going through that, especially in their tour in 2009. I don't mean to get on a U2 tangent here, but. You know, they opened up their show with like five songs off the new album. Yeah, it's like, and the, the audience was lost at that point. Yeah, I mean, come on, guys. You know, do the new songs midway in the set. Hey, we got a new album, really proud of. Okay, great, beer time. If you don't like the new album, exactly. Uh, yeah, but Petty really had it. Uh, he really had it dialed in. But um, one of the things that was cool, you know, what I, what I always found about Petty is he could write very pretty songs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if 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 you listen to to Wildflowers or any number of the songs on an album or it's alright for now I mean, he can write just really beautiful kind of acoustic guitars or, you know he was primarily known as a rocker Yeah, you know, and I think he felt himself a rocker
0: yep.
1: but uh, he had a, a soft side to him which was very much like his personality he was a very, very mellow guy you know he was just kind of hanged out and uh, yeah, I was I, I was really distraught when I heard that he had passed away and, and especially, you know because he had gone through some some very rough times I don't know if you read his book but something that totally shocked me that I had no idea that he had a, a a period of time and it wasn't all that long ago uh where he was addicted
0: to heroin, yeah that was and later on in his I, career as well yeah as later, later on,
1: um yeah. which really surprised me you know I, I wouldn't have been terribly shocked cause, you know early in my career I dabbled in it in the seventies or something, yeah but no, it was later on in his career, I think it was after the breakup of his marriage that uh it was that brought him to to such a dark place to to dabble with that demon shit, you know um. But, you know, he survived it and he was, you know, he was just a really, he was turning into a real classic kind of older dude, rocker guy. And uh, I really feel that, you know, we, we got cheated in a lot of ways because I think he still had a lot of
0: really good music in him. I agree. Yeah, yeah I do agree. I was, uh, you know, it's scary because you contemplate these things happening with more regularity now. Mm-hmm. Right, but Petty wasn't a guy that I was ready to let go of yet. You know, you think about the Stones and the Beatles, and unfortunately, they're gonna go. Yeah. But uh, how old was Petty?
1: Sixty-seven, 67 I think. We were watching some video on YouTube of his last concert, and you know, I thought he sounded he sounded yeah. great. He wasn't one of those guys that really had to worry about losing his voice because the, the 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 key and sound that he generally sang in, so he didn't really have to worry so much about. Uh, you know he sounded he always sounded like Tom Petty yeah um, but he, he he looked fine to me and I did that yeah that, it, just, just the shock of it I'm like whoa wait a second you know it, it's, it was a real gut punch and it just yeah. it just seems as you know as I mentioned the past couple of years have been particularly difficult and it's not going to get any better you no. know um, being a classic rock radio and then just you know every now and again we'll we'll use the the cliche on the air and I've certainly done it
0: myself you say yeah. oh the late great Oh, yeah. And there's a the late great Tom Petty, and there's a the late great David Bowie. Um, those two things sound very weird to me, just having you say those the late great David Bowie and the late great Tom Yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's funny that you mention that because um,
1: I was on the air today uh, in New York City, as you know, and mm-hmm. I played Petty. And uh, I was as I was thinking to myself as the song was, I'm trying to remember, you, I'm just out what song it was. I think Don't Come Around Here No More. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the song was coming to an end I was thinking actually thinking to myself I was like God I just I'm having such a hard time wrapping my head around saying the late great if I refer to that or that you know that he's gone yeah. you know and I, and I actually that's the way I opened up the break because that's exactly what I was thinking at the time because yeah. I never rehearsed you know what I'm going to say before I go on the air I get a general idea of what I might be talking about but um, and I still have a hard time yeah say, you know, late, great Tom Petty he's not here. You know, I said, that's just, it's just difficult, you know, but it's going to happen more often than not, um, you know, that eventually, you know, 80 or 90% of the artists that I'm playing, you know, unless we start playing more 90s music or something, because that's actually turning into classic rock now, Mm. um, will be, hey, all these guys have passed away. Yeah. You know, and you can only hope that the kids get a chance to experience it and, 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 and to listen, you know, to what made these artists classic artists and why Tom Petty's music is going to be played for many, many, many years on the radio because,
0: yep. you know, it's got legs to it. Yeah. So you just said something very interesting there about classic rock. Nineties music is now becoming classic rock. Oh, sure. Yeah. For me, that seems almost like a, a contradiction in terms uh-huh. because you think about nineties rock as what? Um, well, well like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and that sort of thing.
1: Well, right? you know, yeah, Green Day, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden. I mean, they they say in classic rock radio that generally an artist has to be about twenty years old for them to be classic rock. But you know, but the, you know, time flies, man. I mean, you know, even late '80s stuff. I mean, it it, it dawned on me the other day I was playing uh, White Snake. You know, that album's thirty years old. Which one? The, the White Snake album oh yeah, the Seven. Seven. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Hmm. you know it's 30 years it just it just didn't seem to me I mean and, and likewise you know Leopard's Hysteria that's crazy That celebrated it's 30th anniversary and, yeah, yeah. and you know and that stuff is now classical oh absolutely yeah you know you just kind of hope you know it's almost like getting back to when I was mentioning that Petty's music will be played many years to come you just you wonder in, in this day and age and maybe because I'm just turning into an old grumpy fuck I don't know but I'm just not hearing um
0: I'm not hearing a lot of the music that I think that will be listened to 30 years well, See, See, that was my initial point, is that classic rock is a mantle that, you know, and I'm turning into a grumpy old man by saying this as well, Yeah. but classic rock for me isn't a mantle, you know, that can be applied to bands like Marcy Playground. You know, when I think of the 90s, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying?
1: Hey, folks, here's closing time again. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, just, I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of cool songs, and it's a tune, you know, you hear Closing Time, and it's, it's a great little pop song. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, will it be played 30 years from now? I mean, shit, I don't I don't think so. I mean, there's certainly some bands, I think, that are, you know, they're creating some really great music, you know, Kings of Leon and, and the such. And there's any number of bands we could talk about. But, mm-hmm. shit, I just don't know if it's going to be the kind of thing that people desire to hear, you know. Thirty years from now, and unless there is some sort of connection to their youth, yeah, you know, so, you know, the, the young kids now say, "Well, I grew up with Kings of Leon, so that they they mean a lot to me." Because you know, it's getting back to Tom Petty's memories. Kings of Leon was that brings me right back to high school, so I'll i like that stuff, but. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no bands that I'm hearing or very few that are, are you know producing anything of the caliber that the Stones did or I mean uh, the yeah. Beatles are obviously in a different stratosphere and no, oh it's always like Zeppelin and the Stones and Floyd for that matter yeah but I think we were all very spoiled as, uh, as older generation that had the opportunity to grow up on that sort of stuff oh, yeah. it's obviously still on the radio now but you know that was the stuff that influenced at least me you know being 53 years old um was being turned onto as a kid Zeppelin Floyd Stones Beatles and then segueing into Aerosmith mm-hmm. Van Halen you know who was gigantic in my life you know um, even Def Leppard to an extent mm-hmm. um, you know a lot of really really good music was being produced we were very very spoiled and yeah. I think a lot of the kids in this day and age are you know so much of it is disposable um, that's oh, really okay. a shame you know yep. it Great.
0: is yep. uh, speaking of classic rock your last tune is Rush 2112. Russian,
1: you know, for, the, for everybody listening to Canada, I and mean, you know, <laughs> they should call it Mount Rushmore. You know, because they are just,
0: <laughs> they are
1: just, I mean, it's so huge in my life growing up at Prince Edward Island in Canada, you know, in the Maritimes and you know, living in Montreal for a while as well. Um, they're, they're guys, that, I mean, if you're looking around the room here, you'll see a number of pictures of me and, and Geddy yeah, and Alex. And uh, Alex, but yeah. Neil never did the backstage stuff, which was very odd. And I, I met him and chatted with him. I didn't dare ask him for a picture because he's just yeah, he's a little bit of a strange egg when it comes to that stuff. But a very nice guy. But mm-hmm. he's just not into it at all. Uh, but twenty one twelve was an album um, that really brings me back to my youth. You know, yeah. I had never really heard anything like it. There were very few things out there like it. You know, because the way obviously you know, it's, it's one of the longest classic rock songs in, in, in radio. Yeah, but it's still you know, it still resonates. To this day it's it's still an album that i will put on just to listen to mm-hmm. you know um because i just think it's 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 such a brilliant album you know with the, with the sound effects and that sort of stuff not a ton of bands were doing the sound effects you know back in the day um when that album came out obviously i to be pink floyd that would incorporate that sort of stuff um, you know yes to a certain extent on some things but not a lot of bands did that yeah so 2112 it just it just sounded um completely different i, I remember um, i i played i had uh, back in the day i don't really have much leeway what i can play anymore because rock radio has become such a big business but I, I do remember um i had some leeway in what i was allowed to play i could go off the you know the format a little bit and one day i decided to play 2112 nice so my boss of course
0: threw a fucking fit <laughs> you know
1: 20 some odd minutes long and um but, so he brings me into the office, and I wasn't in real trouble, but, you know, he's I'm walking by his office, and yeah. uh, so I sit down, and he goes, can I ask you something? And I said, yeah, and he goes, did you really play 2112, you know, the, the song in its entirety, this weekend? And I said, yeah, man, I said, people loved it. And he goes, yeah, it's just, Rush is kind of like the Grateful Dead. And he goes, you either love them, or you hate them. He Absolutely. Goes, and there's There's a... There's really no in between. Like, oh yeah, I can handle some rush. I mean, some people don't like Tom Sawyer, or maybe Limelight, yeah, maybe New World Man, you know, or something. I don't know, but generally, it's you know, hate him or love him band. Yeah. So he says, you know, Jesus, again, twenty one twelve, you know, two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> you think? <laughs>
0: and,
1: and literally, as he says this. Um, our general manager walks by and uh-huh. he sees me in the, uh, in the office talking to my boss. And I wasn't really in super hot water, but the boss was like, yeah, hey, you know, you, you might try and stay within when you're getting off the format. And the general manager walks by and looks at me and goes, Oh, guys, are you having a meeting? Can I just interrupt you for one second? And, uh, and my boss says to him, who was his boss, he goes, Yeah, he goes, Yeah, sure. What's up? He goes, Ian, 2112 this week. <laughs> he goes, I heard it. It was amazing. I sat in my driveway and listen to the rest of it so he totally saved my ass uh my boss kind of looks at me and 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 shakes his head you know um russia just some of the nicest guys i really think you know it's it's what i call typical canadian yeah and i always say that about canadians and i really feel even though my wife busts my balls about it when i call myself canadian because i was born in the state but i just that that whole canadian very friendly um mentality Um, that is that is Getty and Alex they always do this thing before a show for their for their fan club and it's not uh, as far as I know it's not one of those things where you have to spend you know a thousand dollars to meet the band and get a laminated pass and that sort of thing it's a a thing they, they do quite freely you know it's relatively quick you walk up hey how you doing shake hands um and then, you know, they look online to get their picture with, with, with Getty and, uh, and Alice. Because um, as I said, Neil never does anything. But they've always been just really friendly guys, you know, just from... Uh, when I watch them when they're doing this, you know, they always have kind of big smiles. And when they take the picture, you know, they never look like it's a chore. Yeah. I th- you know, they've always had an incredibly close connection. I think you would agree with their fan base. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and it's without question, I always find one of the most dedicated fan bases out there mm-hmm. um, you know it doesn't matter their their new album whether it sells a zillion copies or not it'll probably sell half a million copies out of the gate yep. and then maybe end up going platinum if they're lucky and then they go on tour and they just sell 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 I mean yeah. I don't think you're going to be seeing much of them anymore by the sounds of it no um, but yeah you know you you hear that opening of 2112 that kind of synth sound or whatever yeah. they use I would, you're, you're the musician here you can probably tell me what it is what they're through a computer effect or whatever and as soon mm-hmm. as the ground hears that I mean, they just yeah. go absolutely crazy and again it brings me back to to my youth and here i am a, a grown adult and you know i'll be in my car or if i'm just hanging out and i decide i want to listen to some rush and i decide putting on 2112. yeah i hear the opening of that song and it's like oh this is fucking good you know it's, alice's guitar comes in and it's just you know it's just such a great album yeah. there's another there's another song that i like very much called lessons yeah i think lessons is on 2112 right? that i always thought was a great song um but Russia's great. I mean, and you obviously had experience with them too growing up. I mean, I know you're a bit more of a metal head, but.
0: Yeah, my experience was a little bit divergent. I, um, I didn't really appreciate them because of the intellectual kind of tack that they took, right? So, you know, I was like Molly Crew, Iron Maiden, ACDC. Mm-hmm. And so I remember being at my buddy Brian Sloss's house. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he had twenty one twelve on his on his bed, his bedroom. And I looked at it, and I saw the the star. You know, that yeah. wasn't quite a pentagram, wasn't quite Motley Crue, <laughs> wasn't quite evil enough for <laughs> right. you. Right. <laughs> and so you know, and then they, you, they've got the flowing robes thing happening, and they kind of look like MIT professors. And it's yeah. like, I don't know if I can get into this. I kind of want the you know the sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing. And and you know, I regret not having the the mental bandwidth to appreciate. You know what I was missing out on because really I, mean, I went back and, and I'm a Rush fan now yeah. but before I kind of dismissed it it was for stupid reasons but well some of this I think is an
1: acquired taste I mean you, you start getting into songs like you know By Tor the Snow Dog and Sickness yeah. and so on I mean that's some pretty complicated shit Yeah, but you know they, they I thought they wrote a lot of great really riffy songs and I, I was surprised that you know because since you were such a pure rocker as a kid you know, you hear the opening of uh, of Sonic Anthem. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, that's a really that's a pretty heavy song. Yeah. Um, so you know, they they wrote a lot of real genuine, very rocking songs. Um, yeah. Especially in their uh, in their early days. Yep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, some of it was a little too complicated for me. There's no doubt about it. Um, but uh, the the stuff that I like, which is the vast majority of it. Um, I just think it's just really, really brilliant. Even some of their newest stuff, I actually really, really like yeah. too. Yeah. You know, but as I said, they're 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 good guys that um, th- that take time for their fans, and I've I've always really appreciated that. You know, yeah. I think, they, you know, um, once again getting back to something where they remember who got them where they are. Yeah. You know, and I think uh, I've seen it um, where people, when they become huge, they forget that, mm-hmm. and that usually ends up biting him in the ass you know on the way down and that's right go from exactly. playing the Enormo Dome to playing the club and, yeah. you know uh, people can sense that and I don't think there's a lot of sympathy for them but uh, I think that's why Rush has been uh, just such a, a loved band you know Dave Grohl yeah. is probably, you know, one of his absolute favorite bands he loves Rush um,
0: you know that they, they they're just
1: geeked out man You know, yeah
0: you know there was no fake sexuality there was no you know kind of bravado it was just they were self-deprecating guys they were mm-hmm. nerds
1: yes yeah you
0: know? and they embraced that yeah and if, if you've
1: seen them live when they do like they generally have like a video kind of yes. presentation and stuff. That's always. That. I think Neil is responsible for it he really gets off on the whole acting part of it and I, I think Alice and Getty likes it too you know they're dressed and they are um, very self-deprecating and, and, and kind of make, make fun of themselves yeah and I think that's a, that's a very important quality for a band to have um, that could very easily fall into taking themselves much too seriously because a lot of the music they're writing is quite complicated yeah. and so on. So, yeah. I, I like that fact that they seem like three geeky guys. Yeah. You know, they just love what they're doing.
0: Yeah, and they're happy with that. Yeah. yeah. Very much so. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been uh, Fireside Chat. <laughs> yeah i'm sorry to get the fire going this is i i kind of wanted to sit here we're we're sitting in these two very plush leather chairs it's not like my studio at all it's super comfortable
1: it's a it's it's a nice little spot i have i have to admit and and thank you again yeah for for having me on i hope we can uh i hope we can do it again i really really enjoy it i I like i love the uh the idea that you have of You know songs, and then being able being able to uh, to delve into some of these different bands and stuff. And you know, obviously, much continued success doing this. I mean, if if your start is any indication, I think you know you should be doing this for a very very long period of time. So, and thank you, obviously, to anybody that's taken the time to listen to this. Uh, I appreciate your time. You know, I enjoy talking about music. Obviously, yeah. Um, So uh, it's 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 really great fun for me. Awesome. Thank you for being a guest. We're
0: gonna do like sixty five more of these. Don't worry.
1: (laughs) <laughs> well trust me I got 65 more bands I been know, I've been uh, I've been doing this for quite some time now and I'm hearing a lot of I grew up listening to you I'm hearing that now and, and, and five years ago I used to get offended by that you know like oh Jesus you know I'm getting old you know you can't say that to me but yeah, it's alright you know I'm getting a little bit older and I've been on the radio now for 20 plus years yep. in New York City alone so I guess people are growing up listening to me so it's uh, I've never lost the passion for the music and doing stuff like this to me for me is uh, it's, it's a good time
0: Awesome. All right. Okay, this has been Brent Jensen and No Sleep Till Sudbury with my pal, Mr. Ian O'Malley. Till next time, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon worldwide.